0: Well, tonight, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 12, beginning in verse 27. Tonight, we're going to deal with uh, two of the most uh, discussed uh, verses in Scripture. Uh, Sometimes, you know, people have different points of view, and tonight, uh, we're going to, as they say, go deep. So, uh, hold on. If you please would tonight, just get your Bible out and leave it open so we can kind of move through the verses. Let me set it up. You remember last week we talked about a house that's divided against itself, cannot stand. Jesus was uh, doing these things that would be against what Satan was doing. And so he was telling the scribes and the uh, Pharisees that, Obviously, he was uh, not of the devil because the devil wanted certain things and he was working against those things. So that's kind of where we pick up tonight. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. Now, Jesus here is saying to the accusations of the Pharisees, uh, you're really prejudiced in this issue. Uh, You're revealing the animosity that you have just toward me, uh, not toward the truth, not toward what is happening right before your very eyes. Now, the word sons here is often a word that is used for Uh, disciples, or followers. Um, It's used that way a number of times in Scripture, so this is not something that's unusual. Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees' extreme prejudice by showing that they approved some attempted exorcisms uh, by their followers, by their sons, uh, who were part of the religious establishment. And many times when they would try and do an exorcism, it wouldn't work. And, of course, everybody knew that. Every time Jesus did it, it worked. So it was just just the opposite. Um, They would never have claimed that the activities by their followers were ungodly, uh, much less satanic. But they were saying the same things that Jesus was doing, that those things were satanic. Which makes absolutely no sense at all. Yet when Jesus not only cast out every sort of demon, but he also healed every sort of disease. Which of course the followers of the Pharisees couldn't do. They accused him of being in league with the devil. The Pharisees' response reflects the basic response of every person that is intentionally rejecting Jesus. I remember years and years ago when I was real young, uh, I knew a lady that uh, was always against everything. I mean, whatever it was, she was against it. And I had just seen Billy Graham preach on the uh, TV, and I uh, said to her, wasn't Billy Graham great? Did you see Billy Graham? And uh, she said, well, he's just a name dropper. You know, she couldn't think of anything really bad to say about him, so she said, well, he's a name dropper. You know, some people uh, are just going to be critical. You know, there's there's no way around it. And you're not going to win a lot of them to Jesus. But when something is so obvious and it's right in front of your face, you know, it seems like uh, they at least ought to pipe down. The Pharisees' response reflects the basic response of everybody that has that kind of attitude they did not reject him for lack of evidence because he had all kinds of evidence you know there was a long trail of people that he had healed there was a long trail of people that he had touched and cast out demons so i mean it it wasn't because there was a lack of evidence there was a world of evidence well Their own deeds were evil, and they could not handle the intimidating reality of Jesus standing right in front of them. Uh, So uh, they were children of darkness, and they didn't want to be in his light. That's the bottom line. Well, let's look at uh, verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, he had Jesus had proven that he wasn't casting him out by the spirit of, of Satan because what he was doing was diametrically opposed to what Satan wanted. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? who he who is not with me is against me and he that does not gather with me scatters you know that's the opposite gathering scattering the reason behind the pharisees accusation was their rebelliousness against god what jesus was preaching and teaching was the opposite of what they wanted jesus was calling them hypocrites was calling them uh, evil people, and of course they didn't like that. And and there were hundreds if not thousands of people uh, following Jesus pretty much all the time now. Uh, The word has gotten out all over the land that he can heal anything. He can cast out any demon, and so a lot of people are following. Jesus had dispelled the foolish charge that he worked under Satan's power And so the only remaining possibility is is that he's doing his work through the power of God. There's only two choices. It's either of Satan or of God. There's only two supernatural forces in the world. So Jesus now is kind of bringing it home. He's kind of saying, now listen, this is obvious, and you ought to know it. You've got eyes to see. Uh, If he did his work by the Spirit of God, then guess what? That means that his miracles were of God and that he had to be the Messiah. He had to be the son of David that that a lot of the people thought he had been since really he began his public ministry. You know, his public ministry was just three and a half years long. But during that time, there was an intensive uh, campaign to change the hearts and minds of all the people in that area. And Jesus worked at it real hard. And, of course, many hearts and souls were changed because they were perhaps healed or the demons were cast out. So they knew of the power and the love of Jesus. Well, the multitudes considered him to be, many of them considered him to be the Messiah. But the scribes and the Pharisees, that was the worst possible thing that you could say to them. Because that would mean that what they were saying was totally wrong. Well, uh, the prophets, of course, had foretold that the kind of things that Jesus was doing were the things that the Messiah was going to do. So, you know, that was even more proof of the fact uh, that Jesus was indeed uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the Messiah uh, that had been spoken of in the Old Testament. Now we get into this uh, about the strong man's house. Now who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan. Uh, How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? Jesus continues, unless he first bind the strong man, and then he will plunder the house. Could not the Pharisees see? that everything that Jesus was doing was opposed to Satan. It was beating Satan, if you will. Jesus was casting out the demons that Satan had put in. Jesus was healing the folks uh, in many instances that Satan uh, had put on them, some terrible pain, some terrible malady. Well, Jesus healed sickness, healed disease, And these were brought upon mankind in some instances by sin, which in turn uh, were brought and promoted by Satan. Jesus cast out demons, which, as he had just pointed out, was the obvious opposition to everything that Satan wanted. He even forgave sin, something that Satan could not do. Satan couldn't do that. Didn't want to do it, of course, but he couldn't do it. Uh, Jesus verified his authority to forgive sins by his power to perform miracles. Jesus was doing things that had never been done before in the history of mankind. And they all knew it. Everybody that was there, was watching, knew it. Every detail of what he taught and did corresponded to the teachings of the Old Testament Scripture. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, guess what? They knew the Old Testament scripture. They knew the prophecies. And they knew that Jesus was fulfilling them right in front of them. And some of the lay people, of course, those that went to the synagogue regularly, they knew uh, because they had listened. uh, They had had people come in and teach them. I don't know if they had small groups or not, but uh, uh, these people weren't dummies. They were smart people, and they knew many of those Old Testament uh, texts, and they knew uh, what the Old Testament prophets said Jesus was going to do. Jesus used the figure of a thief who planned to rob a strong man's house. while the strong man was there. Now, can you see yourself doing that? Can you see yourself going into a house, a great big strong guy, and you start taking things out of his house, he'd, he'd knock your head off? That wouldn't work, would it? That, uh, that wouldn't make any sense. The thief knows that unless he binds the strong man, he has no chance of being successful. In fact, he risks being arrested and seriously beat in the process. Jesus' point was this. Haven't I demonstrated before you and all of Israel my power over Satan? I have literally bound the strong man in his kingdom of evil and darkness and destruction. Haven't I demonstrated beyond all question my authority is higher than Satan's power? He had proven that. Haven't I cleansed people of every kind of disease and freed them from every kind of demon, every kind of oppression that they felt on them? Who but God could enter the very house of Satan and successfully bind him and carry off his property? You know, he just kind of put that question out there. And everybody there, the scribes and the Pharisees knew, of course, there's only one answer to that. The Messiah, the chosen of God, the son of God is the only one that could do that. How could I be anything other than your promised Messiah? That's what he's saying. Jesus next uh, uh, made clear to the Pharisees that there was no neutral ground. He says, uh, he who is not with me Is against me, and of course that was the scribes and Pharisees. They were against him. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, that's that's so obvious. We think, well, why couldn't those people that were standing there, those large crowds of people, why couldn't they just jump in and support Jesus one hundred percent and follow him? Uh, till the last breath. Why couldn't they do that? Well, it's because of sin in their hearts. You know, why did not everybody do that today? You know, up here, uh, uh, whoever's preaching, whether it's Dr. Laidlaw or myself or one of our missionaries or somebody. We all make clear the claims of Christ. We all talk about, you know, you confessing your sins and placing your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. We have all these biblical truths right before us. So, why don't people respond? Because they don't want to. Because sin has a hold of their hearts. And they don't want to give up the evil that they're about. That's why. It's very obvious. There are only two possible relationships to Christ you're with him or you're against him. All right, let's look at verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now these two verses are probably two of the most misunderstood verses in the whole Bible. And there have been hundreds of books written about these two verses. I'm sure all of you have been in a Bible study where these were talked about at length. But you know, even today, all across America, there are all kinds of people that are giving the wrong interpretation uh, for these verses. Jesus first stated that any sin, any blasphemy, can be forgiven uh, for men. They can be forgiven. Blasphemy is a form of sin. It's a more serious form of sin. Blasphemy represents the most extreme form of sin, perhaps, that there is. Sin here represents the full gamut of immoral, ungodly thoughts and actions, whereas blasphemy represents conscious denouncing and rejection of God, the Son, and the Spirit. Blasphemy is a defiant rebellion, you know where you know better, but you stand against it. That's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They knew better, but they stood against it. It was portrayed right before them, but they stood against it. The uniquely terrible sin of intentionally and openly speaking evil against a holy God or defaming or mocking Jesus or God the Father... uh, those are terrible, terrible things. But guess what? Those can be forgiven. They can be forgiven. The Old Testament penalty for such blasphemy was death by stoning. If you did any of these things, they'd just kill you. There wouldn't be a trial. Uh, you know, you wouldn't sit in jail for 25 years. They'd just kill you. Because you were doing that, which was against Scripture. And uh, they would take your life. But even blasphemy, Jesus says, now now follow with me here in the verse, uh, is forgiven. Just as any other sin is forgiven. When it is confessed and repented of. Now that's the key. That's the key. An unbeliever who blasphemes God can be forgiven. Now didn't you do that? Before you were saved? Didn't you do that? Sure you did. Everybody did. Didn't Paul do that before he was saved? Of course he did. Didn't all the disciples do that before they were saved? Of course they did. Paul confessed that even though he was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor against the church, he was nevertheless shown mercy because he acted ignorantly in disbelief. Many of the people today that take God's name in vain, they do it ignorantly. They don't know any better. Maybe their parents did it or somebody that they respected did it, so they just picked it up. They thought maybe that put a little emphasis upon what they were saying. But the grace of God, the grace of our Lord, was more than abundant. With his faith and his love, which are found in Jesus Christ, and people that did that were forgiven. They were forgiven. Peter blasphemed Christ with curses. Mark fourteen seven seventy-one was forgiven of that, and was restored uh, by the Lord. Now even a believer can blaspheme. Uh, Are you still doing that? You say, well, absolutely not. Well, maybe you ought to think back. Since any thought, any word that defames the Lord's name constitutes blasphemy. You know, I know some wonderful Christian people that every once in a while really say the wrong thing. I mean really say the wrong thing. I went to a revival service when I was in college, and they brought in two high-powered evangelists, a preacher and a singer, and the preacher was really good, and the singer was really good, but the organist was terrible, <laughs> and the music guy, I could tell, I, could, I was just young in the ministry, but I could tell, the organist was driving the music guy insane. I mean, insane, because she wasn't any good. And one time, you know, he was getting up to the very pinnacle of his solo, and the organist uh, went off a different direction. And he he cursed in the service. I mean, you know, it just, you could tell it was building up in him, building up in him, building up in him. And then when she ruined his big spotlight moment, he cursed I have never forgotten that and I I suppose that many of the people that were there had the same feeling that I did well that guy ought to just go sit down and and, uh, go home he ought to go back home wherever he's from but he didn't he apologized and just went right ahead well there's one exception Now, look at the scripture here blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven Now, even the person who blasphemes Jesus, who dares to speak a word against the Son of Man, shall be forgiven. When a person rejects Christ with less than a full exposure to the evidence of his deity, he can yet be forgiven of that sin. He can be forgiven. If after gaining fuller light, he then uh, renounces that sin and confesses that sin. He can be forgiven. Now, every once in a while, don't you find that there's somebody that you were told was a strong Christian, and then you saw them doing something that was uh, terrible? Maybe uh, unchristian, maybe ungodly, maybe unlawful, something like that. Let me tell you uh, something that affected my family directly. My dad was a real smart man. He, he, I'm sure, was a genius. And he worked for the Tennessee Valley Authority, and he headed one of the main divisions of that uh, institution. And people were always trying to lead him to the Lord. And he had visited different churches. Uh, My mother and dad took my brother and I to the Presbyterian church for a while when I was a kid. And then we visited a Baptist church when I was a kid. And the pastor would preach against drinking. And uh, some of the uh, deacons would sit down on the front row and would say, Amen, amen. And then my dad, who openly drank, and my mother, who openly drank a lot, uh, would see these same guys slipping into the liquor store and buying uh, alcohol. Well, that really turned my dad against the whole deal. I mean, he was a smart guy. He realized that they were double-faced, two-faced. Uh, that they really weren't following through on what they acted like they believed on Sunday morning. Well, you know, there's a lot of that in the world. You know, people don't always uh, live up to their highest expectation. You know, we don't. You don't. I don't. None of us do. Sometimes we're on a little bit of lesser plane. Um, to misjudge, to belittle, to discredit Jesus from the vantage point of an incomplete revelation can be forgiven. Um, The Apostle Paul had himself been an ignorant blasphemer of the Lord Jesus in the worst sort of way, a prosecutor of the church many that denied rejected Christ during his earthly ministry later later realized that Jesus was the son of God and they trusted in him and they were saved they were saved but blasphemy against the spirit was something more serious if not only reflected it not only reflected unbelief but a determined unbelief Now, these words are important. The refusal after having seen all the evidence necessary to complete understanding, even to consider believing in Christ, this was blasphemy against Jesus in his deity. This was not an uninformed choice. This was a knowledgeable choice. This was a choice that it was made after you knew all the facts, after you understood all the facts. Against the Spirit of God who uniquely indwelt and empowered Jesus. It reflected seeing the truth incarnate and then knowingly rejecting him and condemning him. It demonstrated an absolute and permanent refusal to believe. And you say, well, when, when do you get there? Well, we don't know. We don't know. I never thought my mother was going to become a Christian. I prayed for it every single night. Cindy and I pray at night. I prayed for uh, their salvation every night in our prayers. I prayed Every night since I was 15 years of age, when my mother was 94 years old, I led her to Jesus. You know, so you say, well, how do we know about anybody then? Well, probably we don't, but God does. God knows. And we just need to, of course, uh, trust the Lord at that point. And then it demonstrates this permanent refusal to believe, which results in the loss of an opportunity to ever be forgiven. Either in this age, the scripture says, are you following me here? Either in this age or in the age to come. Though this age, uh, such rejection is unforgivable. Uh, The age... To come implies throughout all eternity there will be no forgiveness. As you all know, in some denominations, in some religious groups, they believe that you can make decisions after you die here. Well, that's not what this says. They haven't read this verse. They haven't understood this verse. Because this says that it is firmly in place forever. Forever. Those who spoke against the Holy Spirit were those who saw his divine power working in and through Jesus but willfully refused to accept the implications of that revelation and in some cases even attributed what they saw to Satan. They knew what he was doing. They understood what he was doing. They understood the power in which he was doing it and they attributed it To Satan. In the face of every possible evidence of Jesus' Messiahship and deity, they said, no, no, I don't believe. I don't believe. I think he's doing it with the power of Satan. God could do nothing more for them, and they would therefore remain eternally unforgiven. Now, Their sin is unpardonable because they're unwilling to tread the path which leads to forgiveness. They're, They're unwilling to do that. For a thief, an adulterer, a murderer, there is hope. They can be forgiven. The message of the gospel may cause him to cry out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But when a man has become hardened so that he's made up his mind not to pay any attention to the Spirit, knowing all the facts, but clearly deciding in his heart, mind, soul that he is not going to pay any attention to the Spirit of God. He has placed himself on the road that leads to perdition. It's over uh, for him. During Jesus' earthly ministry, the unbelieving Pharisees And all the others who blasphemed the spirit cut themselves off from God's mercy. It's just like taking a knife and cutting the rope that would save you. They cut it off. Not because it was not offered, but because it was abundantly offered, yet rebelliously and permanently rejected and ridiculed as satanic. I want to conclude tonight with a story. Dr. Lewis Evans was a pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California. Have any of you ever heard of his name? Anybody? A couple over there. Um, I never heard him preach, but evidently he was a great preacher. Um, He tells a beautiful story about a soldier in the Civil War. Uh, The battle was fought all day. There were a lot of people that were killed. There were a lot of people that were injured. It ended in the evening, of course. They, they would usually stop fighting at night. And then came out into the field a surgeon with some helpers. And uh, the other side, of course, knew that these were not soldiers, and so they didn't shoot them. Uh, the stretcher bearers would come out to bring the wounded back in and to take the dead back uh, to bear it. They came to one boy who was so wounded that he couldn't talk. He could not even move. The doctor looked at him and shook his head. The boy was still conscious. He could hear the doctor say to the others, You can't move him tonight. Don't touch him. Don't try and move him. But if he can live to sunrise, I believe he'll get well. And they left him. The boy lay there all night, fully conscious, With that diagnosis, his eyes looked up into the darkness of the night, and he thought about the little home that he had in the mountains of Kentucky, up the valley by the stream and the moss-covered spring from which he had drunk water every day as a boy. And the little shy girl he had committed himself to in holy matrimony, who was waiting for him in that little country cabin, And the little son in his home was there waiting for him as well. He thought, I'll never see them again. I will never walk up the steps of that house. I'll never drink the water from that spring again unless I can hold out until sunrise. If I can just live till sunrise. He could not turn his head, but his eyes were fixed toward the eastern horizon. And he watched all night for the light of the dawning day. He cried out just before the sun came up, Oh God, get me through the night so I can see the sunrise in the morning and I shall get well. The great Lord Jesus Christ heard his prayer. And the Savior himself came down with a nail-scarred hand and took hold of his hand and together... Through the night, they held back the forces of darkness. The sun began to color the sky and finally broke over the horizon in the beautiful morning dawn. The miracle of grace was wrought, and he survived. I want to say to you tonight that however dark the night might be, no matter what the situation might be in your life, You know, I'm sure if we went around the room tonight and everybody was completely honest, there'd be one or two that are in a major crisis situation that are here tonight. Well, there is a Savior, the very Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, who comes down into our lives. He will say, I will stand by you, I will be with you, and you will be with me. And we will hold back the forces of darkness. Maybe this would be the time that someone here tonight would want to reach their hand out to the Lord. And say, Lord Jesus, please take me. Take me home. If you're here tonight and you've never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins, you've never... Uh, followed the Lord in believing and trusting in Christ as your Savior, maybe you'd like to do that tonight. Maybe tonight would be a time you've been visiting with us that you'd like to come and join the church and be a part of our family. We'd love to have you. We're going to sing a a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand down at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward, say yes to him. Let's stand together as we sing.